Welcome to the Dietitian Boss Podcast. I'm Libby Rothschild, creator of Dietitian Boss. After almost four years of sitting in my dimly lit windowless clinical office, I had enough. I wanted to feel like my work mattered, so I did something about it. I created a program that empowers dietitians and nutritionists to create their own private practice from scratch following my proprietary system. Before I did this, I had a private practice of my own while working a full-time job, and I learned a lot about building relationships, marketing, and sales, and I'm so excited to be able to share my proprietary framework with you. Hello and welcome. I'm here today with Julie Harris, who's an expert in Profit First and has helped hundreds of private practice owners gain financial freedom. She's the founder of Green Oak Accounting, the country's largest firm serving the mental health industry. Julie is an accountant, consultant, speaker, author of Profit First for Therapists, and host of the Practice for Your Money podcast. You can find her at ProfitFirstForTherapists.com. Welcome to today's episode, Julie. Thank you for having me, Libby. Yeah, so so happy to connect. And is there anything I left out from the bio that you'd like to share with our dietitian listeners? Um, the podcast is Therapy for Your Money. So happy to just share that. Uh, Therapy for Your Money and the book Profit First for Therapists. Yes. So exciting. Thank Excellent. you. And and I had a chance to to listen to, I uh, can't wait to read your book. I had a chance to listen Yay. to your podcast and I loved it. You were talking about um, imposter syndrome and uh, with money and celebrating wins. And it was all very aligned with a lot of the information and conversations that I noticed our clients have about money and, and business growth. So I appreciate that. Yeah, my pleasure. It's money is a very emotional topic for practice owners, right? Yeah. It's, it, it just brings up a whole lot of baggage and emotion. And and I would say that that's true for most people, but because, uh, and, and let me know if there's correlation here between, I know you do work with dietitians, although you focus on mental health care professionals. Um, do you notice that as primarily heart-centered practitioners, money and, and money conversations are perhaps harder? I think they are. And I'm not sure if it's because of the, the heart-centered piece, but I know that everyone in this field is highly, highly educated and usually has received zero or very, very little kind of business education within their programs, right? Yeah. So even though you likely have a at least a bachelor's, maybe a master's, maybe even more, there's a good chance that you don't know a whole lot about money. And that can be a really scary thing when you start your own practice. Yes, you definitely have to be good at the work that you do as a dietitian, but you also have to become then a good business owner and a, and, and a business person. And that's a, kind of a scary thing. Absolutely. Yeah, there's a lot of lessons to to be taught and to learn and skills to develop. And thanks to you for offering such a, a great resource for practitioners as they're on that journey and um, learning to identify imposter syndrome and break through their limiting beliefs. Mm-hmm. Uh, so is there anything you want to share? Just because I think that's a great way to kick off our conversation. Is there any uh, thoughts or a story that comes to mind in terms of imposter syndrome and money? Maybe it's like the most common two phrases you hear are roadblocks from practitioners. It doesn't matter what level yeah. they're at. So roadblock, I feel like there are not any other industries where accountants have to convince their clients that they should be profitable, right? This is a conversation that we have often of this definitely is because of the heart centered piece where therapists, dietitians tend to want to take care of everyone else first, right? Let me take care of my clients. Let me take care of my team. And then the rest will come, right? Or if I can just fill in the blank, if I can just hire someone else, open a new location, if I can just do something else, then I will finally take care of myself. 
And I would argue that that's crazy and it's not good for anyone, right? Every practice deserves to be profitable and it is in service to your clients to structure your practice to be profitable. If you're able to live well, live your best life, not be worried about money, I would argue that you are the best version of yourself uh, with your clients as well. And it is in service to them to make sure that you have your oxygen mask on before you help other people. Yeah, that's a great way of putting it. And when you say no other industry where being profitable is really important or it's not seen as a priority, do you know if there's data on that or are these just your kind of observations anecdotally? You no, know, th- this is these are my observations from years of experience and having worked as a generalist accountant prior mm-hmm. to really focusing on the mental health industry. And, and of course, there may be some exceptions, right? Like in the non- nonprofit space, like the profit is kind of viewed differently, but having worked with construction businesses, restaurants, um, marketing agencies, like you don't have to tell them that they should be making good money, right? Usually you have to tell them like, hey, you you have to maybe let's bring it down a little bit and like maybe make some inv- investments in your business. And they, the opposite happens in mental health. I couldn't agree more. And thank you for sharing that your experience, especially because you're such a, a leading source for, for mental health care professionals. I fully agree. And now I'm going to look for some data. I'm going to see if I can find some statistics on that because I, I do yeah. find there's actually data that shows uh, healthcare practitioners and especially women have a higher level of imposter syndrome than I don't know, like other industries or and definitely women in healthcare. And so there's some correlation with the more degrees and, and accolades we have, mm-hmm. we, we doubt ourselves. And so I'd, I'd be interested to seeing if there's some data on, on the money piece too, because yeah. uh, we know that's a loaded topic. It, uh, yeah. And I keep hearing from, from therapists that in their grad school program, right, they were told you're not going to make money in in mental health. Like that is taught in the program where you're spending sometimes hundreds, hundreds of thousands of dollars to even get licensed. And you're being told from the get-go, like, you're not doing this for the money. You will not make good money here. And I I think that's a disservice to the industry. It's probably holding back a whole lot of people from getting into the industry and getting everyone the help that they, they need. It's such a great service to the world and the community. And I, 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 don't think that's in service of anyone to. I fully agree. And it's also uh, not a great way to promote diversity because if you're telling people that people who have families and children and they've got mouths to feed, they can't, those messages are not going to resonate. So I, I really think that is an archaic way of thinking. And I don't like that either in our field and in dietetics, what's commonly told is that you need a lot of experience. Like you have to have two years of clinical before you can, uh, same kind of concept, uh, accept higher pay, negotiate, or start your business, which could mean a a plethora of things, including, you know, side business, if you want to do some consulting. So there's a lot of myths around there that have that same kind of underlying Mm -hmm. tone of how can you pay for yourself, right? Or, Or in my position, I had to pay back my student loans, right? And so I ended up having to work a ton of jobs as a dietitian because I was paid so low as an entry-level clinician, Um, which that story, I tell it all the time. So I'm going to make today more about you, um, but all my listeners know my story. So thank you for sharing that, that. And I think that's, that probably hits home to a lot of the listeners and thinking about what's a priority. And I've been told actually another practitioner 
business owner, dietitian, recently told me that she has to remind her clients that if you don't focus on making money, you're not a business, right? Which is the same thing you're saying. And it feel, it can feel a little yeah. to hear that, but those are almost like something you need to turn into a mantra or affirmations. Um, and I feel like that's an important thing to say at the top of this conversation, because everything else is going to support that first statement or, or um, anecdote. Yes. And money is my thing, right? As an accountant, so like everything I, I, I talk about comes back to money, but it comes from this place of goodness of you deserve to be able to take care of yourself as a business owner. And that is for the greater good. Yeah. I mean, and you have to, right? Like yeah. you mentioned the oxygen mask, you can't help other people. You can increase accessibility to your clients. If, if you're not uh, you know, available to help them, yeah. you have to give yourself the self-care you need. All right. Well, that was a, a heavy load. We just went through. So now we can get into some other questions. Can you talk a little bit about the ultimate goal with, in addition to profitability is, is important. And what I teach is it financial freedom. Can you talk a little bit about why it's important for practitioners to work towards that? Or what does that mean maybe in your experience working with practitioners? So I think when you're putting on your business owner hat and you're saying every session, every clinician in my practice has to be profitable, you're just going to approach every problem in a little bit of a different way, right? Within the profit first methodology or framework, what we do is we reverse the traditional accounting equation. So Traditionally, if you look at a profit and loss or PL, you're seeing income minus expenses equals profit. Within Profit First, we turn that around. So income minus profit equals your expenses. So when you're building in profit from the very beginning, that means that you have a little bit less to make do with. But I found that most people are able to make that happen, right? It's kind of like when you are a broke college student, you make that. lasts a really long time because you know, this is what I have. And then as you grow up into the world and your budget maybe gets bigger, you learn how to spend that. But what if your budget never got bigger? You know how to make that work. And so when, when you're building it in from the very beginning, building in profit, you're able to make all the other pieces around that work. And so what that often looks like for some of our clients is when they have knowledge based on data, right? When they can make an offer to a clinician and know based on fact, not on feeling, this is what I can afford to pay. And I can feel really good about this because I know I'm offering something that is fair for my practice, that is also going to make sure that this practice is sustainable and is around for the long term. So I know I can feel good with that. And for some clinicians that will work and for some, maybe that will not work. And that is okay. That is a decision I'm willing to make because I know that is for the greater good of the practice, right? That is not coming from a place of fear or of I must hire, or I I must give them exactly what they want. It's coming from data. And I think that is the most objective way to approach any situation as a business owner. I'm with you hundred percent on that. So I, I love that you are introducing objectivity, but also, you know, saying that there can be different ways to approach it. And that segues really well into, for those listeners who don't know what profit first is, can you briefly explain it? You kind of did, but can you talk more about why this approach is important? And of course we'll talk about your book. Yeah. Well, so within profit first, the goal is your practice has to be sustainable, right? And that's that's kind of what we've been talking about so far. We want to build in profit from the very be- very beginning of your business or at any point from today on. And as the name implies, we want you to take your profit first. So within business ownership, there is kind of your, your owner's pay or the money that you pay yourself on a regular basis for the work that you do in the business. And then there should also be a profit. And that is kind of 
the reward for you being a business owner or a shareholder of the business, right? If you own stock of a company, they will pay you dividends every so often, right? Typically every quarter, it might be a little bit, it might be a lot depending on what's going on, but they're rewarding you for being a shareholder and investing in the business. And so we also want within the Profit First framework for your business to pay you a reward for being a shareholder. Um, And so that is the profit that we're talking about. We also want the business to pay you with owner's pay, pay you well. We also want the business to be able to pay taxes on your behalf. In the U.S., most businesses are going to be passed through or flow through entities. And that means that the, the profit of the business is going to flow through to the personal tax return where it is taxed. In most cases, not all, but most. And so technically, the business doesn't owe tax at the federal level, but that doesn't mean that the business can't pay tax on your behalf. So it's not coming out of your personal cash flow. So those are some of the big goals um, is to do all that. And the way we structure your money in Profit First with multiple bank accounts, we're using your existing habits. We're leveraging those instead of trying to change your habits. So we're saying most practice owners are going to just look at their business bank account on their phone or on their computer, right? And that's the data that they're going to use. They're going to say, I want to spend money. I'm going to look at my bank account. This is the money I have, yes or no, right? And so by splitting money into multiple bank accounts, by just glancing at that bank app, you're able to get so much additional information in just that one glance. You've got multiple bank accounts. So as I mentioned, profit, owners pay in tax, also operating expenses and payroll if you have a team. And so when you look at what's the bank balance of all of those accounts, you're able to see at a moment's notice, is there enough money in my operating expenses account for this investment I want to make? Am I going to have enough money to run payroll on Monday? Like, There's a whole lot of information there so that you can be a good decision maker without changing your existing habits. Running a private practice requires technology. If you want to scale and deliver a standardized experience, you will need to start using software with your private practice. And I want you to have more time to focus on the parts of your practice that fuel you, like helping more people and spending less time on administration work. And that's why I recommend practice better to my clients inside of our academy membership and coaching programs. Practice Better is a complete practice management software for nutrition professionals like you who want to start and scale their private practice without the burnout. Practice Better helps automate your bookings, charting, and invoicing, but it's way more than that. Creating protocols and treatment plans and tracking your client's progress is easier than ever, so your clients can be engaged in every step of their plan and you can provide a high level of care without burning out. Practice Better also integrates with your favorite software so that your client data and recommendations sync securely and seamlessly. You can import data and results easily from lab orders, fitness trackers, and even integrate Practice Better with your email marketing and your marketing funnels. And with their programs feature, which is my personal favorite, you have everything you need to build and run an automated group program or membership so that you can earn passive income. And it's pretty streamlined in one software. If you're a registered dietitian looking to manage your practice with ease, you can get started with any Practice Better plan for free for 14 days. As an exclusive offer for our listeners here at Dietitian Boss, you can get 20% off your first four months 
on any paid plan when you use the promo code dietitianboss 20 at the checkout. It's time to say goodbye to a patchwork of software and hello to an organized, efficient practice. Yeah, and that's so powerful. So, and uh, thank you for walking through that for those that are not familiar with how it works. And I love the the concept of habits because it's easier for us practitioners to adopt things that we're already doing and then learn and you know, become financially aware through our own habits and, and just some conversations and obviously regular looking at your finances, which I'm sure, I'm sure you coach a lot of your clients on yes. in your team in terms of that. Those are all, those are what I see as common issues. I have to tell them, I have to create habits for my clients to regularly look at their finances and, and try to, I'm talking, doing a talk about that next week with my clients, especially those who are further along um, in terms of making sure they're aware. So thank you for sharing that process. Um, now, in terms of the book, can you talk a little bit about how you got to creating this book? I mean, you're the, the author of Profit First for Therapists, yeah. which is a big deal. And that that's a lot of credibility for you and your company. It, it was quite the labor of love. I knew it was going to be a lot of work, but I was not prepared for all the, all the different steps. But ultimately, in my accounting firm, uh, we've worked with hundreds of private practice owners over the years. And what I realized is that we were implementing Profit First with our clients and implementing it very successfully. But constantly, we were having a new inflow of clients saying, I want to implement Profit First. I read the book and I love it. And I just don't understand how to translate this for my practice, right? Mm -hmm. Just because this is a typically a, a field where your team members are highly compensated. They're highly educated and highly compensated. The allocations didn't quite work. And so time and time again, we got requests for like, how does it work for my practice? So I thought, no matter how big I grow my accounting firm, I can never help every practice owner out there. But this information is just too valuable to stay within a few hundred practices. So how can I expand my reach and just really help the industry as a whole stop with the, the poverty mindset and, and really step into the reality that every practice deserves to be profitable? This was the answer is writing the book. So I put all the tips and tricks I have, all the tools that we use for implementation with our clients, all the allocations, but I also included other things that I knew practice owners needed as well. For example, I talk about some tax basics, right? A lot of our practice owner clients have no uh, accounting background. And so what are some of the terminology items that you need to know? How does quarterly estimated tax work, right? I included that. I included a whole chapter on clinician compensation. What are some of the methods that you can think of your clinician compensation? What are some of the considerations that you should look at when you're deciding what that's going to be? Because I was tired of hearing practice owners say, well, I, you know, I decided on this compensation model because I asked around in a Facebook group and so-and-so said that this is how they do it. And like, did you ask them if they're making any money? <laughs> because this is unsustainable, right? So I added a whole chapter on that. I added a chapter on scaling. So I really feel like I tried to encompass all the basic foundational finance and accounting knowledge that a practice owner needs in their business into this book in a way that is that is approachable. That's great. And is this geared then for solo practitioners and group practitioners, considering that you had, you have different sections throughout their customer journey? Yeah, absolutely. So I talk about the whole gamut from pre-revenue to a large group practice. I have ratios or allocations in the book for a solo practice, small group, medium group, large group. So it really runs the whole, the whole gamut. 
and for some, for a handful of people, maybe scaling won't matter, but I've, I've, I've met a lot of accidental group practice owners over the years. So I felt like, Hey, even if you don't need it now, it's good to have it there just in case you need it later. I also talk about adding revenue streams. Like what if you're adding a side business? What does that look like? What if you have multiple owners? Like some of the less common scenarios, but that can be of interest if you're thinking of bringing on a partner in the business. Like this, this is good information to know. Yeah. And it's really good to be abreast of all these topics in, in this space, in the mental health care space as well, or the private practitioner space, right? Since it's, yeah. since our listeners can benefit. So thank you for writing the book. And I know yeah. Mike, Mike Michalowicz, his mission is to eradicate entrepreneurial poverty. So this yeah. book is in alignment with helping with that message, right? So really helping, like you said, the first thing we talked about was being profitable. And then the second thing, this is what drives me nuts is when people just ask other people what they're charging or how to do splits for clinicians and whatnot. And, and they're forgetting to ask if that person is profitable, but it's hard to compare your business to someone else's. My my view on that is that practitioners don't want to take responsibility for looking at their own numbers. And it's, it's hard to do that work. So it's easy to go look at someone else's, but not have the full picture, but that gets you into worse uh, situations long-term. So ultimately it's really about improving your education and, and building those habits. It just can feel uncomfortable. It can. And, and the information that you get in Facebook groups or even just from asking other practitioners, I've been an accountant for many years now, and I would say things are not always what they seem on the surface, right? We've seen under the hood of hundreds of practice. And just because someone looks like they're profitable, that's not always the case. And I tell uh, the story in the book of, of Stacy, one of our clients who first heard of Profit First when she heard Mike Michalowicz speak at, at an event. And she was sitting in the room. She had just been chat- chatting with her colleagues saying, oh yeah, things are great. I just opened another location, right? Like everything's fine. And then inside she knew she felt like a fraud. She was listening to Mike speak and felt like, I know that I have negative $4,000 in my bank account right now. And I know by the end of the day today, I'm going to get another text message from my bank saying like something else has bounced. And here I am telling everyone that everything's fine and everything is not fine, right? So so sometimes something looks like it's working and it's not, and that's okay, right? There's no shame in that. You don't have to wear your practice finances on your sleeve, but going, just taking a moment to really look at the numbers and do the work, that's the only way to profitability, right? And and Stacey, this specific client is in a really healthy financial position. It didn't happen overnight, uh, but she did the hard work and she had the conversations with her clinicians and changed her spending habits and is now putting a child through college, which was her ultimate dream. And that is now reality. And I think that's amazing. Thank you for the story. I know the stories are helpful for us to put our mind into really what that, to kind of apply the concept. So thank you for sharing that. You go, Stacey. You go, girl. Do do it. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, I guess this kind of, you might've already answered this, but I, the, the most common mistakes practitioners make. Can, can we get a little more specific since a lot of, I, I do have listeners that are further along, but can you answer this question? Mistakes that private practitioners are making earlier on pre-revenue um, and then mistake the biggest mistakes that they're making a little further down the road, kind of break that up. That would be helpful. Okay. Yes. So earlier on not saving for taxes is one of the mistakes that we see really often, especially like in that first year of business. It's not uncommon for someone to go from working for someone else, maybe getting a W-2 where taxes are withheld. And then you move to private practice, maybe as a solo practice, nothing is withheld. You have paid tax on nothing, but like all the money's coming in like, oh yes, look at all this money. Let me go spend it all. Poof, it's gone. And so you get to your first tax season and think, oh my gosh, what did I do? Yeah. Um, so that is one that comes up early. 
kind of in that mid stage, then we see this transition where as maybe that solo practice gets full and things are going well, it's not uncommon to have to bootstrap things right in the beginning of a practice. And that's normal. I think it's good to know how to do all the things in your practice. Maybe you're doing the website, you're doing your own, doing your own billing, you're doing all your intake calls, and then you get busy and you just hold on tight to all of it, right? Because you're so afraid of like, oh, what if it all goes away? And so there's this point where a shift has to happen, right? Where you are way better off financially seeing one more client and letting go of some of the things that you hate doing, especially, right? So start starting that shift of not just working in the business, but working on the business. So how can you get other people to help you? And that's one of the big, big things that we see also in the larger group practices. Like there is this shift again, where the large multi-million dollar group practices, they have surrounded themselves with a team of experts that know more than them in their own respective fields. They will typically have an attorney, sometimes multiple attorneys, right? Maybe uh, one for employment, one for uh, leases, right? IP, exactly. They have an accountant and definitely a tax preparer. And, you know, they, they have an HR professional, perhaps like they, they've surrounded themselves with people who are really, really good at what they do, who can help them see around blind spots. So starting to pick out the professionals that are going to support you is one of the ways you can really start flourishing as a larger group practice and really be able to truly put on your, you know, visionary business owner hat. Yep. So uh, I feel like that's, those are two, uh, what about the group right before the delegation? Because what you're, what you're explaining, the letting go and delegating is really hard. And I feel like people that don't break through that won't get to the next level without a doubt. And I definitely think that's an issue. Delegation is hard because you have to be clear. You have to improve your leadership acumen conversation and podcast for another day. But it's interesting that you're saying, we know this, it holds you back from your financials. I see it holds people back for their mental health because they end up being really burnt out and frustrated, but then they're the ones getting in their own way. I mean, I've struggled with that myself too, with the whole spectrum of micromanaging to not having enough controls with delegation. Um, so it's, it's important, but what about, uh, so you're talking about not saving for taxes, uh, which, which might be the, the, newer practitioner and then the delegation. Are there any other mistakes you see between? Cause I feel like those two groups of people are kind yeah, of kind of farther apart. Yeah, yeah. Um, so in that between phase, there is a lot of learning how to be a leader and learning how to decide what you want in your practice and holding people accountable. That can feel really, really hard in that middle stage. And so let's just, let's just use an example as you're hiring on maybe a first clinician, there's often this shame of like, well, I can't offer full benefits or maybe I can only give them 10 hours a week, right? Or because the, the person that you're hiring as that newer group practice is probably going to be the person different from the person that you hire as a 30 person group practice, right? Those are probably different people and they're looking for different things. And I think it's always okay to be wherever you are today and just be honest about what that is. But then as you're hiring this person, if you say, I'm bringing you on for 10 hours a week, and then they're consistently seeing six clients, you have to become a leader and say, Hey, what's going on? Is it, am I not giving you enough referrals? Are you discharging quickly? Are you, do you not have enough hours on the, on the schedule? Like I, this is what I need from you in order for this relationship to work. And being able to to say those words out loud can be really, really hard for a practice owner. And the willingness to keep people accountable for what they've committed to can be difficult because we see a lot of practice owners get in trouble where they they hire people 
at rates that only make sense if everything works out perfectly. Yep. And then not hold them accountable when they're not holding up their piece of their, their part of the bargain. And so there's that leadership development that has a lot to do with money. It's the kind of adjacent to to money management, but affects the money piece that I think is just a rite of passage of someone moving towards that group practice. Yeah. And, and thank you for, for bringing that up about the, the level of uh, compensation, let's say, will only work if everything works out. And I think that's a lot of uh, my perspectives as an employee mindset, where you're so used to perhaps things, not as many fires that might happen if, let's say, your metrics are off. So there's always having that padding in place. And, and from my experience, uh, myself and teaching our clients, that I guess you call that leadership, but it's it's really having that agility, that adaptability, not to mention the economy and other factors to um, have some wiggle room. And that that's that's a great example of what the skills you need to build that might be that between phase as you're delegating or you're getting to that next level. I just thought of something else that I think happens in that in that middle phase. As a business owner, things will go wrong. Things like I say that with certainty because something will go wrong in your business at some point in the business, right? Someone will leave unexpectedly, a client's unhappy, someone makes a mistake somewhere that will happen, right? HIPAA violation, whatever it may be, a mistake will happen. And as you're growing as a group practice owner, what often has to, to happen is the letting go of like, things will happen. How do we deal with it? Right. And, and assuming that things will happen, I think is a good place to be. Maybe it's cynicism, but like, just as an example, we were working, my team was working with a a client this week who's saying, well, I want to, this is how I want to structure compensation. So we've run the numbers. Ah, This doesn't quite make sense, right? Based on this, 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 and this, your existing expenses. And they came back to us and said, well, what if we exclude this piece and exclude that? And what if this happens? What if they they stay above 28 sessions per week, for example? Mm-hmm. Then then will it work? And my what my team and I were discussing on our meeting this morning is, yeah, it can work, but that's not reality. You're excluding a bunch of stuff that is actual reality, not this dream world. It's reality. So you have to be willing to actually look at what's happening, not this idea of what you think your business should be, but what is actually happening today. And what do you think builds that skill? Looking at your numbers with regularity. I knew you would say that. I knew you would say You that. have to look. You have to look at what's going on. You have to look. I'm a big fan of QuickBooks Online. That is all we use in my in my firm. And one of the reasons I like it is because you can have fairly accurate records at any given time, right? You can go in, you can see what your accountant is doing, and you can go in and see like, where are we month to date? And it might not be precise, right? It takes a couple of days for sure. for transactions to get in, but you can have a pretty good idea of what's what's going on. And I think that's helpful. Can you look at your money once a week for 15 minutes as a business owner? I think that is time well invested, right? It kind of uh, seasons you to the ebb and flow of money in your practice. And that's one of the many reasons I like Profit First. It kind of forces you to sit with that money. I recommend every week or every other week, typically, but you're just, you're spending 15 minutes. How much money is in this account? What about that account? When you're looking at that every week, just a couple minutes will give you so much information about what's going on in your business. You might self-diagnose. We have a billing issue. Why is this account so low? What's going on over here, right? Like you're able to see and feel immediately when something isn't quite right. And you're able to troubleshoot so much faster than if it's mixed into everything else. Like where is pinpoint where the, the area of opportunity is? 
Yeah. Thank you for giving that specific example. Very on brand of you to say, look at your numbers, because of course you would say that. Of course. But that, that really can help build confidence. I just want to go back to how, how do you, knowing that being adaptable and being open to there being mistakes is part of business and having a team. The next step would be, well, what's the action step? And then you're saying to weekly or biweekly, 10 to 15 or five to 15 minutes, look at your numbers through something accessible like QuickBooks Online. Um, and that can really help. Um, I would say at least once a month, but you're, you're the expert here. So if you're saying weekly yeah. and biweekly, that's even better. <laughs> well, yeah. Listen, like the reports on a monthly basis, absolutely. I would, I would love for every, everyone, every business owner to do that. But I think just weekly logging into your bank and mm-hmm. actually looking. I think there's power to that as well, right? Where did money go? Is this normal? Was I expecting this? Because I've I've seen, you know, stacks of unopened IRS letters or bank statements and where where people are, they're running their credit card or their their debit card and like just wincing and like, is this going to go through? And that's not a good place to be. You should know if there's enough money or not in your business. Like there's a lot of peace of mind that comes with that. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's a really great tactical piece of advice. So thank you for sharing that. It was really helpful. Uh, This was such a pleasure, Julie, to talk to you about not only your experience with private practitioners, but also the methodology that you teach and you've written a book about, uh, which is so exciting. So congratulations on that. Is there anything that you want to, any final thoughts or calls to action you want to leave the listeners with today? Well, I truly believe that every practice deserves to be profitable. So I hope that you also believe that as well. I would be honored if you would consider uh, ordering my book, Profit First for Therapists, uh, is out on May 2nd. I think that no matter where you are in in stage of practice, and I I really think this will apply for many, many dietitians as well, whether you're from pre-revenue all the way to group practice, like there's something in here for you. And I've tried to make it really accessible. There's there's examples of every, every size practice, and it's also available in Kindle and Audible as well. Fantastic. Uh, Excellent. I will be reading it and thank you so much. Thank you. If you're looking for support to start, grow, and scale your dietitian private practice, I want to invite you to work with me and my team. We have a few different options. Head over to dietitianboss.com and apply to have a conversation with somebody from our sales team to discuss your options for your budget and stage of business. Head over to dietitianboss.com and we look forward to connecting.